when WeWork was like everywhere, everyone was like, this is the greatest business in the history of the world. You're uh, renting out tiny cubicles for a fortune. One of my friends is a real estate lawyer and she represented a building and they were trying to lease a floor to WeWork. And so they're like, here's our standard lease. And WeWork is like, no, we give you our standard lease. You don't give us your standard lease. Where we work, we don't give a shit who you are. Yeah. Now WeWork is also bankrupt. And so I think back then, Smile Direct Club was like, look, we just went from 20 million in revenue to 750 million in revenue in three years. Mm -hmm. So you think we're crazy? If we're crazy, we're crazy like a fox. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Get paid monthly and take a year off from running your Shopify business with Open Store Drive. Open Store's experts will handle everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than 500K in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. This is season six, episode two. We haven't recorded in some time, especially here in New York. Our last episode was in Austin. I'm excited to do this. Bunch of stuff has come out in the e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, consumer marketing space since we last recorded. So I got a, a bunch of stuff I want to chat about. And before we start, I'd love to hear what Fanta orange drink you've made a generic version of in that, uh, in that bottle over there. What is that? In my Kirkland bottle. Uh, this is actually, first of all, Kirkland Emergency. water is one of my favorite, <laughs> favorite products. Because it's 25 cents in the vending machine, but it yeah. costs eight cents if you buy it. The, the case. Yeah. I know how much it is exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, this is just fresh, freshly squeezed orange juice from this morning. Wow. Yeah. Who's squeezing your oranges? I buy your? oranges. I cut them with a hex clad knife. I squeeze them in an Amazon thing. Really? I put it in the bottle. And it's honestly, it's like the best. I like taking it even before working out because it's so hydrating. Do you take out the seeds before you juice or no? Yeah, well, the juicer has a little filter. Okay, so it takes the, the seeds. The wow. Seeds out. Okay, that's yeah. amazing. And it's I a little pulpy. I like that. the pulp. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, want a sip? Let me know. No. <laughs> a few weeks ago, you and I did a water tasting, and you got four oh, okay. waters. I think you got like Mountain Spring Valley, Saratoga Tap, and Essentia. Essentia, yeah. and you knew I all of them. Waters. And I was like, the tap one, I could understand. The other ones, I was really impressed by. This past week, I went to Main Street Summit, and I was I shared a hotel room with Kevin Lee, and from Emmy, from Emmy, yeah. And um, we go down to the lobby. We're staying at the Hampton Inn because uh -huh. that's all there is in this town. We're staying at the Hampton Inn. We go to the lobby. There's this fridge. There's just a cooler with a bunch of drinks. And I see water bottles that say Niagara on them, uh -huh. which is like a bottling plant. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. They got Niagara water. Kevin's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Wow. What is Niagara? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, let me tell you about Niagara. Uh, who owned the hotel? Was he a Daisy guy? Oh, I, I 100% was so sure it was a Daisy guy <laughs> because there was no towels unless you asked for them. <laughs> yeah, there was no right. room yeah, service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there was no, uh, yeah, well, it's you know, like sheet, yeah. but no uh, yeah. housekeeping unless you <laughs> yeah, asked for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it was 100% a Daisy guy. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, okay, I want to talk about, uh, you know, it's no, we're recording just before Thanksgiving, Black Fridays in a couple weeks. But I want to talk about e-commerce as it has been the last couple months. And I think everyone, like, you know, on the direct-to-consumer Twitter space, it seemed like everyone had a really tough October. Yeah. And I find myself usually being the person who has to tweet out, are other people having a tough time with ads? Because I see people having a tough time with ads. And this time I was able to consume rather than produce those tweets. And I was like, wow, it must be really bad if other people are talking about it and not yeah. just me. But I really wanted to do a little bit of a dive into two bigger brands. 
One is Smile Direct Club, mm-hmm. and the other is Dollar Shave Club. Uh, we'll get to Dollar Shave Club in a second. How much do you know about Smile Direct Club and what they're what they've done, what they're up to, their size, all that kind of stuff? I mean, I know what they do in terms of their product. Explain what that product is, really. Quickly, so just it's essentially case. like a cheaper version of Invisalign. You take a mold. Uh, I think you can even go into some of their retail stores, which I don't know if those still exist. They scan your mouth. You get um, Invisalign. You basically trays shipped to you. And it's in theory a lot cheaper because you don't have to pay a dental office and all that stuff in between. But I believe they recently filed for bankruptcy. That's all. Ex- that's exactly right. Uh, basically, think of them as a, you know telehealth orthodontist. Hims for Invisalign. They filed for bankruptcy, and I I was an attorney, but I never looked at bankruptcy documents until Hello Bello filed for bankruptcy. And now I'm like, this is so fun because you can find out everybody that they owe money to, like all the creditors file something, a claim, and they say, hey, you owe me money. Mm -hmm. And so with Hello Bello, it was like, you know, they owed money to FedEx. And uh, I think they owed $3 million to Facebook and they owed $22 million to their paper supplier because they were making diapers. Smile Direct Club, I want to do the same thing. And so here's the history of the Smile Direct Club business. In, they started in about 2016, and they raised $20 million then. The guys who uh, who created Invisalign, which is like, you know, the trademark brand of Invisalign, they owned 20% of a Smile Direct Club. They invested wow, outside of this. I didn't even this, know that. But they invested in Smile Direct Club. In total, Smile Direct Club would raise $1.6 billion in equity and a billion dollars in debt. So $2.5 billion of capital in their uh, bank account. So 2016, they're doing $20 million in revenue. 2019, $750 million in revenue. Wait, wait, what was the year before? Uh, I had 2016. Oh, okay. So 2016, around $20 million. They launched around 2016. Maybe they launched in 2015 or 14, but 2019, $750 million in revenue. You mentioned something really interesting, which was like you could go in and take a mo- like you know photos of your mouth. I've used Smile Direct Club. I used it once from myself. I I still wear a retainer from Smile Direct Club, and that's exactly what we do. You go into their uh, facility, and they take like five thousand photos a second, or an insane number of, ph- of photos a second, to be able to get a really good mold of your mouth. Ninety hmm. percent of their sales, like in their bankruptcy documents in twenty nineteen, came from their Smile shops. So it wasn't really that much of a telehealth business. It was a lot of you go into our store and you get a mold, you know, you get photos taken and then we send you trays. It wasn't like people in wherever Missouri, wherever that Main Street Summit was in Missouri. I think it was fewer people there doing it because there probably was no smile shop there as opposed to people in San Francisco in LA and in New York and the AOVs, you know, two, three thousand dollars. And so it's a very high AOV, but most of their revenue is coming from smile shops driving business and selling trays and not their direct-to-consumer website. Interesting. So they IPO in 2019 at a $9 billion valuation, uh, which is pretty crazy. 750 million sales. That must have been the top. $9 billion <laughs> valuation. That was the top. They do some crazy things. So first, um, the their relationship with Invisalign and Smile Direct Club is not a good relationship. Already, there's lawsuits between the two. Invisalign starts uh, trying to compete with Smile Direct Club by doing their own telehealth version. Smile Direct Club sues and wins. And Invisalign basically has to stop. They also, um, like, if you have a bad experience with Smile Direct Club, my girlfriend, uh, you know, the, at the time that I got Smile Direct Club, she did it first. And she, uh, her dad was a dentist. And so she got all these photos taken of her mouth. And then she sent them to her dad. And her dad was like, this isn't exactly a good, like, 
they're not doing a great job here. So he like contacted Smile Direct Club and like fixed the the trays before she got them sent out to her. Wow. And I was like, wow, you've got the power of it. He didn't do that for me, but he did do that for her. And I was like, that's really sweet. But uh, Smile Direct Club, if people want a refund or they have a really bad experience, Smile Direct Club will give you a refund. But first, you've got to sign an NDA that says you won't say anything bad about them. What? Isn't that crazy? Like, they're like, if you want a refund, you sign an NDA and we'll give you one. It's almost like a severance agreement. Yeah, uh, that's right. And I wonder if more brands, like I saw this and I was like, I wonder if more brands should start doing this. We'll give you a refund, but as part of the terms of service of our refund, you have to agree to like not say bad stuff about us. Yeah, I feel like you could do that if there, if there's something like medical involved or yeah. a very high price point. Yeah. You know, if you're returning a Heston's mattress, which costed $20,000. That would make sense. Wow, what the hell is a Heston's mattress? Oh, I'll tell you about it after. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, COVID happens. Their business declines a lot. Uh, $470 million in revenue in 2022. So like a 35 40% fall off in revenue. Mm-hmm. That's not good. And the reason their business falls off is because they're like, look, our smile shops are closed. Right. We signed these leases when we were doing, in 2019, peak market. Business was doing really well. You know what people didn't want to do when COVID was around? Sit a dentist chair, open up their mouth and have somebody shove something in their mouth yeah. to take photos. Cause like, you know, that's the recipe for getting COVID basically at right. that time. So uh, they're in trouble. They go out and raise money in 2021, $750 million they raise in debt due in 2026. And then in 2023, they've got this year in September, they're still in litigation for uh, with other for other reasons with Invisalign, and they lose that litigation. And they there's a sixty three million dollar award oh. awarded to Invisalign against Smile Direct. Club. And that has to be paid instantly, or how does that work? That has to be like you know you'll work with the court to like figure out payment, like because the court probably doesn't want to bankrupt you. Probably neither does Invisalign. Yeah, because Invisalign's like if you go bankrupt, we're not getting anything. Yeah, exactly. You owe money to everybody, so we'd rather you like you know we're last in line. You probably have secured creditors and a bunch of other and like unsecured creditors. We're last in line, and Does so the court make any percentage of that no. settlement. <laughs> no, I love I love where your head is at, which is new business. I'm starting a courtroom. You, you know, it's going to be Judge Nick Sharma, like Judge Judy, and you're going to be like, this person owes you this much, and I get five percent. <laughs> Do you want 95% or zero? <laughs> That's right. So anyway, now they've got $900 million in debt. Okay. And they declare bankruptcy. They owe $750 million when they raised in 2021. Uh, they're paying 15% interest rate. Uh, that money is due in three years. They owe $150 million on a credit facility with a 15% interest rate due in two years. The CEO, the founders of the company loaned the business $5 million, and now they've got the $63 million judgment against them. Damn. So they're in trouble. And so, uh, you know, in their bankruptcy documents, it sort of says, what do you do when you're in trouble? So they try and raise more money. They're like, look, we don't have this kind of cash. The interest is insane. I mean, think about, you have a billion dollars in debt with a 15% interest rate. That means every year you've got to come up with $150 million, not to pay off your principal, but just to pay off the interest on the loan. Just to keep getting your debt. Yeah, that's right. Just for those debtors not to say, you're in default, I'm going to take your business. So they've got to come up with that $150 million plus the $63 million, plus they're still losing money. So it's not a business. When they were making these decisions? That's a great question. And I think in 2023, it's so obvious and so clear that that business is like, you know, this is a lot of money. And like, so, so one, they're floating rate loans. So, uh, you know, three years ago, that interest was 10%. Now it's 15%. So the interest is worse, but even 10% is really high. But like, you know, in hindsight, it makes things so clear. Like, you know, when we think about WeWork, 
Yeah. You know, like when WeWork was like everywhere, everyone was like, this is the greatest business in the history of the world. You're uh, renting out tiny cubicles for a fortune. One of my friends is a real estate lawyer and she represented a building and they were trying to lease a floor to WeWork. And so they're like, here's our standard lease. And WeWork is like, no, we give you our standard lease. You don't give us your standard lease. Where we work, we don't give a shit who you are. Yeah. Now WeWork is also bankrupt. And like, it looks like a crazy idea to, you know, have to have short-term leases and you have a long-term lease. Like right. you take a lot of risk there. And so I think back then, Smile Direct Club was like, look, we just went from 20 million in revenue to 750 million in revenue in three years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you think we're crazy? If we're crazy, we're crazy like a fox. Yeah, I feel like also this this time period, it was a lot of tech thinking. It was like, if we build, they will come. And it was like, oh, if there's demand, let's throw a bunch of resources at expanding this because there's going to be people who come. That's right. Whereas if you look at like the hymns or the Romans of the world that survived this period, they said, oh, instead of us just expanding the one thing that we see exploding, let's go find 25 other products. That's and right. We know that 12 of them might fail, but 13 of them are going to keep our business growing. And the reality is, I think at some point, uh, well, I would say Smile Direct Club they were not very capital efficient. Yeah. Like I think the hymns and Romans of the world have been more capital efficient or certainly have gotten to be more capital efficient. And I think the music stopped at a really bad time for Smile Direct Club where they're yeah. like, fuck, we have all this debt. We have this judgment. We don't have any cash and our business is going in the wrong direction. And I think this is something that Harry's did too. And nobody really talks about. They're like, they raised a lot of money initially, but at some point they're like, the the music is going to stop. We need to raise money, be financially independent and worry about EBITDA in a way that we didn't have to in 2019. Yeah. And I think other businesses have gotten that message as well. Like I don't see, you know, what's a great example is like cuts, you know, uh, like when I think about cuts, uh, you know, I, there's this, I saw a tweet and like, I saw an article that basically said, Aloe Yoga is raising money now. Cuts has been bootstrapped. They've been worried about profitability. And they're like, we will sacrifice growth to maintain a level of control of the business and to not risk the business and say, hey, if we can't fundraise, we're going to go out of business. And yeah. that's what Smile Direct Club did. So in 2023, this year, they're like, we need to raise money. And so they talk about it. They said, we talked to 61 lenders to try and get more money. 61 lenders are capital or are like equity providers. Somebody give us cash. 25 of those people signed an NDA. They got one proposal out of those 25 and they're like, this isn't going to be enough to save the business. So they had to go bankrupt. Wow. It didn't mention anywhere what their acquisition cost was, did they? No, it didn't. Um, I mean, I'm sure they cut marketing spend. I bet I, I, you know, the answer is it probably did. And I just didn't look at it because I looked at their bankruptcy docs and not their 10K. Yeah. I worked with a company back in the day called, uh, used to be called Uniform Teeth. Now it's called Impress. And the idea was the same thing. It was like, there's Invisalign or there's Smile Direct Club. But the problem with Smile Direct Club is the the imaging of your teeth is not always accurate. And so it can actually be very bad to really? use Smile Direct products. Wow. And so this company kind of sat in the middle. They were like, we're going to get real orthodontics, but we're not going to do all the orthodontic stuff. Yeah. You just come in. We're going to image your teeth. We have all this technology to get the perfect image. And then we're going to ship you the, the best the um, aligners. And... Their biggest challenge was always like, you have to first put awareness in the market, then you have to get a lead, and then you have to get the lead qualified through insurance, and then you have to get somebody to commit to an appointment, and then the show rate's about 50%, and then you get 50% of those people who show to convert. And so it's like by the end of, you know, if you have 10 people who start, you've got one person at the end who's like, I'm going to buy. 
And it's a very challenging business. And I bet those 10 people to start each cost you $150 because like, you know, not everyone wants this and it's super like expensive. Right. Uh, and, uh, insurance often doesn't cover it. And like, you know, not everyone's in the, like, it's so, so hard. I can understand that funnel being really difficult. Like I can understand why you need a lot of capital because your acquisition costs. I mean, look, you have an AOV of $3,000 or $2,000. Your acquisition costs aren't going to be $50. Everyone, uh, otherwise everyone's going to be in it. The real winner is probably the company that made the aligners and just produced them and distributed it to all of these other companies. Yeah. In, in 2016, Smile Direct Club started making the aligners in-house. But, you know, okay. what they actually started doing is they also started talking to dentists and being like, look, instead of referring to an orthodontist, refer to us and you'll get an affiliate fee. Yeah. Uh, and so they started working with a lot of dentists. But even then, like, I, I do think the acquisition cost is really high. And I also think that, like, at some point, the newness of it like wears off a little bit. And like, if you're a new, if you're like a 14 year old kid now, your parents are probably like, you know, I thought about this. I could give you smile direct club, but I w- you're 14 years old. I'd rather have somebody I can talk to. Yeah. Like as an adult, I'm like, okay, if I'm having a problem, I can voice my concern. I know what the problem is. I'm going to go, I, I can figure out how serious it is and solve it. My son was 12 years old and needed aligners or eight years old and needed braces. Yeah, totally. You'd I'd probably just, extra. yeah, exactly. I'd yeah. pay a little bit extra and be like, let's make, th- make sure I do this right. And so I think a little bit of it's probably just like the older people who are not adopting it, adopted it. And there were a lot of exits in this space too. Like yeah. it wasn't like there was candid smile. Like there were a lot of other companies doing totally. this. There's also a lot of smaller companies that started that do the same thing, but they just raised very little money. And they basically just took market share from these guys. They were doing all the advertising. Definitely. Yes, they were doing all the advertising, bringing people into the space. Um, So I I just wanted to go through really quickly and talk about other, like people that they owed money to. When you file bankruptcy, this isn't everybody. You know, obviously we talked about the billion dollars in debt that they have. Yeah. These are other people that have filed a claim. Now there's a lot of people who probably haven't filed a claim. And there's a lot of people who probably may forget to or will in the future, but just haven't when I looked at this document. So they owe six million. Uh, Smile Direct Club owes six million dollars to law firms. They owe forty five thousand dollars to a PR firm called Five W Public Relations. They owe one hundred seventy thousand dollars to Billion Dollar Boy. Have you heard of Billion Dollar Boy? No. It's an influencer marketing agency. Oh my god. Salesforce one point eight million dollars. Oh. Horizon Media. Do you know Horizon Media? They own a lot of publishers. Right? That's right. Yeah, million dollars. Oh. Uh, Bizarre Voice, $18,000, which actually makes me feel so good. good. I was like, I wish that number was bigger. That should be triple. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want them to get a dollar. (laughs) Google, $4.1 million. Facebook, only $1,000. FedEx, 30K, UPS, 4K. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting to see. We need to figure out what is Facebook doing in their accounts receivable department? Well, yeah, a lot of times, you know, it could just be the Facebook wasn't working for these guys. So they were just like, we're going to stop true, advertising because, yeah. you know, our Facebook CAC is probably $800, $800 to get a lead at this point or something super yeah. expensive. So it could just be that they stopped advertising on Facebook. Wow, that is crazy. What did you say the PR firm was? It was called 5W Public Relations. They owed 45K. And I think it was across like multiple months because I think I remember seeing yeah. 10K, 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 10, four 10K claims and not yeah. one 40K claim. Wow. One of the harder parts about businesses like this is when the cost per acquisition is so expensive or cost per lead is so expensive, you have to spend so much money getting your funnel correct. Like it might cost these guys a million, $2 million just to test funnel, like yeah, you know, test ads. 100%. Because if your cost per lead is $80 and your cost per conversion is $1,500, you have to spend 
hundreds of thousands of dollars to be like, this ad is working or this ad is not working. Totally. And like, that is a lot like, you know, with deodorant, I was like, I can spend $50 and figure out whether an ad is working or not. These guys have to spend $1,500. These guys have to spend 150,000. Yeah. That is bananas. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. That is, uh, that is truly the biggest downside of starting a business in the high AOV category is you have to, you know, take your AOV and multiply it by 250 and that's your test budget. That's a great point. Yeah. Is that also a moat? It is, because if you have the cash, then yeah. you sort of box out yeah, other, other people. Yeah. It's probably tough for somebody to just come out with telemedicine for this reason. I mean, I remember there was a, a pet company, pet pharmacy company called Dutch. And I think they're, yeah, they looks like they're still around, Dutch.com. You know, when I first talked to them, they'd spent a lot of money just to figure out that their conversion rate in their entire funnel was 1%. Yeah. And it's like, then you make an update and you have to spend a ton of money just yeah. to see if that even worked. Yeah, yeah. That is, I couldn't do that. It's brutal. Uh, like, I don't have the, uh, you know, cojones to be like, yeah. look, we're going to spend $150,000 to see if this lead works. Yeah, and then and then the problem is like, you know, let's say you're starting the business. When you're starting it, if you haven't already worked in this business or you don't have a marketer who's already worked in that category, your hypothesis of your creative, you know, takes you, let's say that costs 20K to create all the content. Then you run it, you spend 100K, you got nothing. Now you spend another 20K and then you run it again. I mean, it's just like this cycle of burning cash. You know, before I started Native, I tried to start this like mortgage company called Zenlun, which was like kayak for home mortgages. Okay? Yeah. I wanted it to make, make, like I tried to get a loan against some real estate that I owned and it was so terrible. I was like, let me solve this problem. And so my goal was you just use Plaid to link your bank account. I can pull all the information I need for your loan and that's it. We're, that's, we're done. Uh, you don't need to give me anything else. I understand your income. I understand how much cash you have, everything from your bank account. So I built all the tech and then I was like, okay, let me start advertising at customers. You know, keywords on Google for mortgages are basically the, one of the three most expensive keywords. Like mortgages, insurance, and asbestos are like the most expensive things. Wow. So then I was like, let me advertise on Facebook to see if I can get people to work. And I still remember that one of the best ads that worked were, was it looked like there was a toilet paper roll of dollar, $100 bills. Uh-huh. And I was like, do you want to save this much money on your mortgage? You know, use us. And even then, like the cost per lead was so expensive, probably within spending $10,000 in ads. I was like, I can't do this business anymore. Yeah. Got three leads. And, uh, you know, how, how can anyone make this business work? Yeah. A lot of those companies that I feel like play in that space, they definitely have their like lower funnel marketing dialed in, but it's all about like brand recall and, you know, sponsoring behind home plate and sponsoring a random billboard. You just see the word. And the next time you think you need something, you remember that last word you saw. That's, that's so true. You know, there was this, um, I think it was Sean at Ridge wallet at one point posted. He's like, how could anyone ever spend like a billion dollars in marketing? And I was like, you don't even know the game. Like we're you and I are playing the same game, but I was part of a different game for a short period of time with PNG. And I realized that the game we're playing is we're like uh street fighters and these guys are running yeah. armies. Yeah. Totally. We think that we're like, you know, winning. We're like, uh, we're like on the white, we're like holding corners yeah. and these guys holding are holding down canal street. Yeah, exactly. We're like, yeah, exactly. We're selling like fake bags at the corner of <laughs> canal and Broadway. And these guys are armies holding borders of like the United States. Yeah, totally. They think like, you know, how can they spend a billion dollars because they're doing $10 billion in sales, Yeah. which is something that we can't conceive of yet right. because we just haven't operated at that scale. Yeah. And so at that scale, 
you know, imagine trying to spend a, you know, a billion dollars on Facebook ads. You probably are not going to find that very successful. Probably does make sense at some point to name the stadium Gillette Stadium exactly. because uh, that's where you need to spend money at. Totally. Want to take time off from running your current Shopify business to build your next Shopify business? When you join OpenStore Drive, you can take 12 months off to pursue other ventures while still getting paid. You'll receive guaranteed monthly payments for a year, and OpenStore will manage everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than $500,000 in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. Okay, speaking of Gillette Stadium, I wanted to talk about Dollar Shave Club. Amazing. Did you hear any news about Dollar Shave Club recently? I didn't hear any news, although I feel like I know that it's one of the worst acquisitions that uh, Unilever ever made. Yes. Uh, so they made it, uh, they bought a Dollar Shave Club, I think in like 2016. And I still remember I was about to board a flight when I read the news that they bought Dollar Shave Club. And I was like, this is so good for native. Like, you know, they've pioneered that the e-commerce businesses can sell for a billion dollars. They've pioneered that small CPG businesses that you start can sell to big CPG businesses. They pioneered uh, the Harmon brothers' entire career. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, they just made it so that, like, direct-to-consumer was on the map. Yeah. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. And I remember one time I met Michael. D I was in Venice, California, and I was going to a Pilates class. And I was signing in. As you do. As, as I do sometimes. <laughs> and I saw uh, Michael Dubin's name on it. And, you know, I know Michael Dubin lives in L.A., but I was like, I wonder if this is Michael Dubin. You know, it was like a 3.30 p.m. class on a Wednesday. And I was like, well, if there's a Michael Dubin that wouldn't be working and a Moise Ali that wouldn't be working, it'd be the two of us. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I like looked at it. And I waited for him to come in and it was him. And he left. And uh, he, he uh, and I was like, hey, are you, you're Michael Dubin from Dollar Shave Club. And I was like, I'm Moise. I started Native. And he's like, what's Native. And I was like, eesh. Uh, and then I was like, oh, it's this deodorant business. And he's like, oh, I use that. And he's been incredibly generous. I, I really like him. And he's been a really uh, wonderful person to me. And I'm really grateful for everything he did. And I, I think I said that to him. I'm still very grateful yeah. for what he did building Dollar Shave. Unilever just sold the business. What? Uh, they sold the business to a company called Nexus Capital, which is like a private equity firm. Yeah, that was spun out of Apollo. <laughs> Nexus bought 65% of the business and Unilever still owns 35%. Wow, the, the, interesting deal. Yeah. Is that because um, distribution? What do you mean by that? Meaning like they're still going to use Unilever's retail networks, uh, merchandisers, all that type of stuff? No, uh, I don't think they're going to use any of that. Um, I think the reason that they kept, uh, like Unilever kept 35% is they're like, look, we want some upside. We paid a lot for this business. Mm -hmm. May not have gone the way that we wanted it to go, but we want still want some upside now that it's going to be privately held and someone may be able to do a better job with it than we have. Uh, so I think Unilever was just like, we want to keep some skin in the game. I also think that, it allowed Nexus to pay a lot less in cash because they're like, you're going to get a, yeah, you still own yeah. a third of the upside. So we're going to give you a lot less cash up front. Nexus says they invest 50 million to $300 million per transaction. They do say they have the ability to make larger or smaller uh, commitments in selected circumstances. Uh, the terms of the deal weren't disclosed, but like, you know, I would probably guess that it was somewhere between 50 million and 300 million in cash. And I would guess it's probably on the lower end of that. Other companies that Nexus has invested in are Resident, Tom's Shoes, FTD Flowers, and Sugar Bear. I didn't know most of those companies are still around. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, Resident is Nectar Mattress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know Tom's Shoes. Like, when was the last time you saw Tom's Shoes? I can't yeah. remember. 
Why do you think that? So I want to go back to like um, the like Dollar Shave Club. You know, you mentioned early on earlier that you thought it was one of the tougher acquisitions for Unilever. Why do you think it didn't work out well? I think that companies like Unilever or P&G, like they're obviously not brand builders. They're brand distributors and they're brand marketers. And I think Dollar Shave Club was liked because it innovated in a category that hadn't innovated in a long time. They were far more affordable on the front end to the customer, but that could have also just been subsidized by venture dollars. And, you know, I think once they got acquired, they didn't really innovate. Like they kind of stayed at the same place. And then you had all these other companies come along. I mean, there was probably like six or seven shaving kit box subscription companies that went on Shark Tank right after. Uh, And then of course you have Harry's and you have Billy and all these other companies that came to market. And I think they probably just didn't have they didn't have the the same vision that Dollar Shave had in its early days. Like, you know, I don't think they ever released that type of ad that they launched with. And they sort of just like tried to plaster retail aisles and take market share or gain revenue that way. But but I don't think they necessarily like innovated after the acquisition. I think there's a lot of truth to that. So uh, l- let me start by saying I-, I disagree that they're not brand builders. I think P&G and Unilever are both brand builders. And I say that because I think P&G built native far more than like, you know, I might've started it, but I think P&G has done a far better job than I could have and have really knocked it out of the park. Like Unilever is more of a house of acquisitions. They bought a lot of businesses, Liquid IV, Sir Kensington's, Schmitz, Ben and Jerry's. I do think that they're generally, they do buy a lot of brands, but I think that like, you know, taking a brand from something like a kernel and building it into a forest is a form of brand building that's really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they are brand builders. I think that there were a couple other mistakes with Dollar Shave. Uh, One was they didn't go into retail distribution fast enough. And the reason for that was like when a Dollar Shave, like when we sold to P&G, when Native sold to P&G, there's like three forms of acquisition that you can do. You know, there's a brand called This Is L. I think that's what Mm -hmm. it's called. They make like tampons or feminine products. When P&G bought them, they absorbed the entire business into Cincinnati. It was run out of Cincinnati. Everyone who worked at This Is L was, you know, let go in a way that was like very, like not in a mean way, but they were like, you know, we're going to bring your job into Cincinnati. Maybe you can, if you want to move to Cincinnati, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. We'll give you severance package that works well for you. It was a complete absorption of the business. Uh, with Native, it was, you're in San Francisco, but we're definitely going to have P&G people, you know, looking over Moise's shoulders often. And, and that they <laughs> I had a shadow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't from the sun. Dollar Shave Club was not either of those two. It was actually completely independent. They piped in the finances so Unilever could report financial data from Dollar Shave Club, but distribution still came out of LA. Marketing still came out of LA. Product innovation still came out of LA. It was entirely independent. And as a result, I don't think it took advantage of Unilever's system of distribution and marketing the same way that Native got to. Like Native got to in a great way. Like when we went to Target, they were like, okay, you're a part of P&G. We, we understand P&G. We know what the terms of this, it, when when we sold into Target, they weren't like- yeah, there's I, no negotiating. Yeah, it's they're like, like, we understand how yeah. P&G works. And like, you understand, you also know the numbers of all of the other deodorant brands at Target. Like, you know, when I, we were selling Target, when we were selling Native into Target, I was like, how much margin do you make at Secret? How much margin do you make at, you know, at Old Spice and Gillette? I want to know that information because that's going to be super important for Native to know. And so it was a lot less like, 
we weren't blind. We walked in with like a lot of information that we might not have other, otherwise had because of the partial integration with PNG. And I think Dollar Shave Club remained independent for a really long time and didn't take advantage of the Unilever distribution system, which I thought was like uh, not the best idea. And they didn't touch brick and mortar stores so for a really long time. And I think that like part of it was they never were able to come up with another product that worked well. Like they were sort of defined by Dollar Shave and they were like, we want cheap razors. And nobody was like, you know, if you sell deodorant, it better be a very cheap deodorant because that's what I want. You know, like yeah. my customers are all very price sensitive. Mm -hmm. And so I thought the best, like, you know, with native, I consciously thought, thought about this. I was like, you know, what we don't want to do is compete on price. We don't want to compete with, you know, saying we're cheaper than Old Spice and Secret because we can, we're $12 and we're still not making that much money. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, we don't want to compete on price. We need to compete on quality and value and ingredients and branding and integrity. And so I think that was also what was really tough with Dollar Shave Club. They were sort of set themselves up from a marketing position of we're cheaper than everybody. You don't need Roger Federer. Yeah. And I thought that was tough. Agreed. Anyway, so Dollar Shave Club is now sold. And I like, you know, I'm thinking about how, the early guys in direct consumer have all moved on. Dollar Shave Club's moved on. Casper's moved on. You know, I don't know if I was early. I moved on. Andy from Bonobos has moved on. I just feel so, feels like all of those people have started new uh, things and that the Blue Aprons, you know, is gone. Yeah. Uh, and so it just feels different. There's one other fundraising thing that I want to talk to you about. There was this article about Roan and they bought out their own investors, Al Catterton. Uh, they bought out, yes, uh, saw you saw that? I thought that was really surprising. That's yeah, it really makes me think have that- Have you met that guy, Nate? No, have you? Awesome. You know, okay, yeah. gotcha. I don't know like where that came from, but that seems like a non-standard path to like, you know, I like it'll raise 30% or something like that from like El Catterton on 30% of my business. I'm going to raise money and buy them out. Yeah. I wonder why that, like, I wonder what the reasons are for that. Well, I feel like El Catterton, from my limited knowledge of El Catterton, they tend to buy a business, pump it, and then try to flip it like within a few years. And maybe he just thought, you know, there's a lot more to be built before we try to, you know, have a transaction or somebody else gets reins of the business and tries to Unilever it. That's fair. Um, but usually like when things are going in the right direction, that's not the case. And I, you know, El Catterton's investor. I think I'm don't. Uh, I think someone will have to double check me on this. Copari and Function of Beauty. Uh -huh. And you know, I haven't seen anything crazy uh, like go on with those two brands. You know, when people are investors and the, the investment is going really well, you're sort of like no problem. You know, like yeah. if you're an early investor in Stripe, in like a private equity firm, you're not like dump that stuff. You're like this is Stripe. Let them build, make right. something amazing. We'll all make money at the end. That's not to say anything about Roan. I've got I've never met the guy. In fact, I barely know anything about the business. I just thought it was interesting that these guys were doing that. These guys are raising money to buy out investors. I saw another article where Allo Yoga is doing the exact Allo Yoga is about to try and raise money. Uh, supposedly they were trying to raise a billion at a ten billion dollar valuation. I don't know anything about the revenue. I don't know anything about Allo other than what you know. But I just thought that was interesting that these two guys in the same space are going in different directions. Yeah. Allo raising a billion, Roan buying out El Catterton. Interesting. What size do you think uh, Allo is, if you had to guess? If I had to guess, probably a couple hundred million, like low couple hundred in revenue. Or wait, 10 billion valuation though? So the rumor is they're trying to get 10 billion. Yeah. So like, you know, whether they get 10 billion or don't get 10 billion, I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, it might honestly be a billion dollars in revenue. That would probably be my guess. 
Yeah, that's who do you think is bigger, Viore or Aloe? Aloe. I think Viore is like half of that. I think. I'm not sure. It's so crazy that these private brands can be so large and their numbers yeah. are not leaked on the street all the time. Like I know. Athletic Greens, what is their revenue? Someone leak their numbers. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> if you if you're listening to this and you work at Athletic DM Greens, numbers. yeah, oh, you will we will not uh, you know mention you ever, but I will be in your gratitude. Like how is it possible Athletic Greens could be doing 200 million or 700 million. And in both cases, I'd be like, sounds right. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. And I like think about this industry for 24 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, that blows my mind uh, that I don't know Aloe. I don't know Viore. And I don't know Athletic Greens. It looks like, according to Google, they Aloe went from 200 million in 2020 to over a billion last year. In sales? Yeah. According to like what article? In, uh, who, who says that? Just random, random shit on Google. Okay. I actually asked ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you know, when you Google someone's name and it just says celebrity net worth, like I'll, I'm going to yeah, Google yeah. Nick Sharma's, uh, <laughs> you know, the, for, it'll say Nick Sharma's second thing will be Nick Sharma nudes. Third thing will be Nick Sharma net worth. <laughs> Don't and, click the second. <laughs> <laughs> and they always just have a random number. You know, they'll be like uh, Tom Hanks, 10 to $12 million. And you're like, no way, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know where any of that stuff comes from, but I, I have no idea what Aloe's is. I'm really curious. You know, it's, I, it is interesting that Aloe hasn't made acquisitions to grow this big because I feel like you would have thought that Aloe would have been a brand that they've got such a big platform. Yeah. And they've also got the, I think some of the best retail stores and just the best vibes as a brand they haven't made any acquisition where they've thought, oh, we've got this platform. We can just bring somebody in. Like they launched a skincare business. I don't know how it's doing. I don't think it's doing that well. But, you know, you would think that they would acquire something and be like, okay, we've got a gazillion amount of customers and a ton of people who come through our stores every day. Yeah. We can put something else on and, and maybe even get more out of it. You know, I think the hard part is they're trying to really be careful about their brand. And we think of like, uh, you know, it's it's easy to like make, like look at Lululemon and Mirror. Yeah. What a dumb act. Like, you know, $550 million disappeared instantly. Right. That's a lot of money. Like, you know, uh, $550 million. It's all, it's bananas that like big businesses can make such large mistakes you yeah. think that they'd be a lot more risk averse to that where they're like, but like, they need you know. one Daisy guy like in the room <laughs> <laughs> to just ask like, Hey, should we buy this for 500 million? Yeah. Some guy says, no. There, then, All right. We save money. There's a great, I think it's in like world war Z or some movie where they're like, uh, there's a gr group of like 13 men in Israel where they're like, if, if someone's like declaring war or something like that and, and everyone's on the same page, two of the men's job is to disagree with whatever the other 11 believe, no matter what. If oh, they're like, play devil's advocate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And be like, are you sure you're thinking about this correctly? And um, I wonder if that happens when exercise. it comes to these acquisitions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good exercise. I also, like, you know what's crazy is with Hint, I always wondered, I was like, who's going to buy sunscreen or deodorant and this bottled water company? With Aloe, I agree. I don't think skincare is doing well, but I also feel like I'm like, there's a lot of people, like, you know, I feel like Lululemon could still be like, this is interesting. We understand that you're in skincare and it's not crazy to us. I feel like with Aloe, there's a little bit of a better fit than there was with Hint and like deodorant. Yeah. I'm not sure why, like, I think, you know, there's no clothing brand I, I know agree, that also makes I think you, personal You have care, like more like performance yeah. skincare, like skincare yeah. you wear to the gym or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I do feel like um, it's been a rough 2023 for, for e-commerce sure. brands. I'm hoping like we have, everyone has a fantastic Black Friday. I'm a little like nervous about how 2024 looks. I feel like 
the first half will look really good because all of the old expensive freight that people purchased in 2021 is like runoff now. Mm-hmm. All of the extra inventory that they added in 2021 and 2022 is sort of like runoff now. So I, I think 2024, I'm a little bullish on the first six months. I am a little worried about you know, presidential elections and politics in the second half of 2024 and what they mean for like just Facebook advertising. Totally. I don't know what that means and how scary that becomes. Yeah. I, I will definitely be running TV ads on Fox. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good ad placements. In 2016, when Donald Trump was elected, our sales fell off a cliff. Really? Like for the week that after he was elected. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And I remember I was like, we were trying to raise money at that point or thinking about it. And I talked to Forerunner Ventures and I was like, we had a really tough, we still grew, but like November, 2016 was not easy for us. And they're like, wasn't easy for any brand. Like basically yeah. everyone's sales fell off of a cliff. No one met forecast. But I wonder what it's like in 2024. Uh, like, I, I, th- I think the first six months, people have like reason to be a little jittery. You know, people are like the, the economy's not, uh, people feel like the economy's not great. People are starting to pay student debt again, 8% interest rates when it comes to mortgages. I wonder how much of that macroeconomic impact affects our consumer and affects uh, our ability to like grow our businesses. Yeah. What do you think of that? I agree with you. I think leading up to the election, I think uh, advertising is going to be great. I think uh, usage of social media networks, viewership on TV, consumption of news public. Like I think New York Times and Wall Street Journal and all these publications that fell off a cliff when Trump left, I think they're about to make all their money back starting, you know, probably in Q1 next year. And I think CPMs will probably be, you know, in our favor. But then I think the second the election happens, you know, half the country is going to hate the decision. And so social media will become, again, this place of like grievance and hatred and whatnot. And so I think you got to make the most of your first, you know, first half of um, 2024. And then it sounds like buy Facebook stock, which is uh, great advice. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. That's a wrap for episode two of season six. Thanks so much for entertaining me and talking about Smile Direct Club and Dollar Shave Club. We didn't get to Grove. We'll get to it some other time. Um, Tell us a little bit about what the agenda is for the next episode. episode, um, I've got a a business idea that is charitable uh, that I think is very possible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about Showfields, which is the store based in New York. Um, we're going to talk about some Google pricing transparency that's coming into play. And then um, I listed out, you know, I, I talked to a couple brands that we were supposed to work with and then they didn't end up working with us and then they launched and they were missing this one key thing that I think would have made them a lot of money if they had it enabled when they launched. And so I'm going to talk about that. Oh, wow. That's ex- awesome. I really want, yeah, I want to hear what they're missing. Awesome. Well, looking forward to uh, episode three then. All right. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.